All right, friends, on the second Sunday of Easter, we are going to open the Scriptures and read. This is the time of the service where we read from the Bible and interpret the Scriptures for one another and listen for what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. So I'm going to read from John chapter 20. If you have your Bible, feel free to follow along, or you can follow along on the screen as I read. This is John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. May God add his blessing to the reading and understanding and the doing of his holy word. Okay, friends, uh, in honor of today being the second Sunday of Easter, I have brought for your listening pleasure my three worst Easter jokes. Okay, are you ready? Okay, what does the Easter bunny, uh, oh, so Mallory messed it up. How, how does the Easter bunny keep his fur neat and tidy? With a hairbrush. Uh, Okay, it's only going to get worse, so just hold on for the ride. We're going to do this. Uh, Where does the Easter bunny eat brunch? I hop. (laughs) Uh All right, here we go. All right, last one. What do you call ten rabbits marching backwards? A receding hairline. At the 8.30 service, someone booed. It was so good. I loved every minute of it. Friends, uh, I love Easter. Easter is so good, right? Easter is such a beautiful time. You know, we announced the good news that, that Jesus, who died on Friday, is raised to life on a Sunday. He's, he's died for the sins of the world, which means we can be forgiven. And we announce it to the whole world that he's risen and that he has defeated sin and the grave and even death itself. And we celebrate, right? How do we celebrate? With music and with storytelling and with food. And so especially on Easter Sunday, the the eating starts here and we come to the table for Holy Communion. But then we uh, go to grandma's house, right? And there's ham and there's roasted chicken and there's pineapple and there's deviled eggs. Anybody love deviled eggs? Oh, I love deviled eggs. And there's, there's hot cross buns, and there's cake, and there's pie, right? It just goes on and on and on. The feasting. Yes, exactly. And so today, the celebration continues, because what I want you to understand, friends, is Easter is not just a day, a single day. Easter is a season in our common life together. In fact, in the life of the church, it's 50 days, the great 50 days of Easter. And it's a season of when we wear our new shiny Easter dresses and our Easter bow ties, and the kids get high on Easter candy, right? And the sun is shining, and the flowers are blooming, and it is a beautiful and wonderful time. And yet I wonder, in the midst of the celebrating, did we ever stop and consider that not everybody believes the story? Not everybody 
believes the story. I think sometimes we assume if you're born in Lynchburg, if you grow up in Lynchburg, surely you must be a Christian, right? Aren't all the people who live in this community followers of Jesus? Maybe not. Maybe not, friends. I want us to acknowledge today that not everyone believes the story of Jesus being raised from the dead. I want us to acknowledge that some of us don't believe it as strongly as we'd like to. Some of us don't believe it as strongly as we think maybe we should. Some of us don't believe it as strongly as other people think that we do, right? There's a word for this. We call it doubt. Doubt. Friends, my question today for you is this. Is there room for doubt? Is there room for doubt? Is there room in the kingdom of God for doubt? Is there room in this church for doubt? Let's make it a little more personal. Is there room in this church for a person who doubts? Will we welcome him or her in this place? Can we be honest, you and me, about those parts of the Bible that maybe we're not entirely convinced about yet? Can, can we tell the truth uh, about our questions and our fears and our suspicions and our uncertainties when it comes to the things of God. Friends, today is the beginning of a two-part series. It's called Uncommitted. Uncommitted. And this is the time for honest reflection about our faith or about our lack of faith. And what's extraordinary about this idea that sometimes we are uncommitted, even when God is committed to us, is that this book is full of stories about people who are just like that. And even when you look at Jesus' inner circle, in his inner circle of 12, he included people who had doubts just like you and I have. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that's amazing, that Jesus included these people who had these really... Uh, important doubts. You see, on Good Friday, Jesus was crucified. And then on Easter Sunday, he was raised from the dead. And that evening, he appeared to his disciples and they were hiding, right? out. They were hiding out because of their fear of the Jewish leaders. And they thought maybe they would be in trouble or their lives were at risk. So they were hiding. And Jesus came, the story says, and he came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands where the nail marks were, right? And he showed him his side where the soldier had pierced him with a sword. And then he breathed, the story says he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And then the story continues like this. But Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. Okay, so Jesus appeared to the disciples, but there was just one who was not there, and it was Thomas. And so he was on a potty break or he went out for pizza or something. We don't know that. We don't know that part of the story. We can just guess. And so what we know is uh, Thomas was not there when Jesus made his resurrection appearance at that particular moment. Now, this is an important part of the story because this is the source of Thomas's doubt. Okay, there's a reason why he doubts the good news of the resurrection. For some of us, this may be hard to believe, right? Because we have grown up and we've believed in Jesus as long as we can remember. And we've said, gee whiz, it's a great story. I believe it with all my heart. I've never doubted it for one moment. Uh, How could anybody doubt it? I'm here to tell you, friends, some people doubt it. Some people doubt it. And some of us in this room have doubted it at one time or another. And maybe we're doubting it right here this morning. Maybe we're not completely convinced. And so, Thomas had that kind of experience. What I want you to appreciate, though, is Thomas did not get to see all the things that the other disciples saw. 
He did not get to be a witness to the things that the other disciples were a witness to because he was not there when Jesus showed up. And that reminds me that we don't all have the faith, the same faith experiences, do we? We hear different things and we see different things and we have different kinds of encounters with the holy. And if we're honest, we would say sometimes we feel very close to God and other times we, we feel far away. And that's part of what it means to walk this journey of faith. So it makes sense that Thomas had a different understanding because Thomas had a different experience. He was not in the room when Jesus showed up. You ever tried to tell a funny story to somebody and you think it's hilarious, but by the time you get to the end of the story, the other person's looking at you like you're an idiot? And what do you say? Oh, I guess you had to be there, right? Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't there. And so our experience matters, and his doubt, our doubt, is understandable, friends. Let's keep going in the story, verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Okay, so the other disciples insisted, he's alive, Thomas, you know, believe us. Trust us, he is alive. But Thomas wanted to see the evidence. He wanted to see the proof of this idea. And since this moment and forever and ever throughout Christian history, he has been known as what? Doubting Thomas. Oh, man, what a tough nickname to live down, right? As if he's the only one with doubts. Oh, well, you know, there's the other disciples. They're all good. And there's doubting Thomas, you know, and those doubts. Give me a break. The idea is that he's the only one who had doubts. Not true, friends. They all had doubts. And if you look closely at the story, it is right there. All of the disciples had doubts. Okay, so early on Easter morning, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, and he tells her straight away, go tell my brothers that I'm alive. So she goes to the disciples, and she says, hey, I met Jesus. He died. He's alive. This is awesome. It's good news. Now, if that was you, how would you react? And how might we have expected them to react? With celebration, right? With partying? With like, yes, okay. All those things we were afraid of, we don't have to be afraid of anymore. And Jesus is alive, and we thought our lives were over. But this is the beginning of something new. And all those things Jesus taught us, they have come true. So, yeah, let's party in the street. They weren't partying in the street, friends. Look at verse 19 in the story. When it was evening on that day, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Okay, so they heard the good news. Mary went and told them. And what are they doing now? They're hiding because they're afraid. They're doubting. I'm not sure I really believe that. I'm not sure I want to go stick my neck out there and go celebrate in the streets. I saw what they did to Jesus. They crucified Jesus. If they could do that to him, they could easily do that to us. No, thank you. We will just stay right here and save our hides. So Thomas gets stuck being called the doubter when all of them were doubting the, the good news that Jesus was really alive. Okay, story continues. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them this time. Jesus came and stood among them. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and and put it in my side. Do not doubt, Thomas. Do not doubt, but believe. I love how Jesus has responded to Thomas. Okay, notice, Jesus doesn't condemn him. 
Jesus does not scold him. Jesus doesn't even seem disappointed. Instead, he offers Thomas the exact evidence that Thomas was asking for. You ever pray to God, God, show me, and then God just shows up in an awesome way? That's exactly what Jesus does in this moment. Like, look, touch the nail marks in my hands. Okay, it's real. It's really me. You know, put your hand right here in, the, in my side where the soldier pierced me with his sword. Okay, friends, this is the grace of God. Jesus is revealing himself in a way that we can see and appreciate and understand and believe. Do not doubt, but believe. Jesus is showing himself to be worthy of our trust. Do not doubt, but believe. The invitation is to believe. But here's what I want you to see, friends. In the meantime, while we are on our way toward believing, we don't have to be afraid of doubt. We don't have to be afraid of doubt. Now, that might be something different than what you heard in a different sermon from a different preacher or in a different church, but we do not have to be afraid of doubt. And I want to give you four reasons that we don't have to be afraid. And number one is this. Jesus is not afraid of doubt. Okay, Jesus is not afraid of doubt. When Thomas doubts, Jesus does not kick him out of the group or say, how dare you say that? In fact, he does just the opposite. He invites Thomas to make a deeper commitment. Okay, Don't doubt, believe. Believe, be a part of this movement that we are doing together to transform the world with the love of God. And so as uncommitted as Thomas is toward Jesus, Jesus is still committed to Thomas. Now, if we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he's all-knowing, doesn't it stand to reason that Jesus would have known in advance that Thomas was going to doubt him? And yet Jesus was still willing to die for Thomas. Okay, That's extraordinary, friends. That's how committed Jesus is to Thomas and to you and to me, that he's still willing to die even though he knows that we'll have doubts. The second reason that we don't have to be afraid of doubt because doubt is authentic. Doubt is real. Doubt is honest. Getting real about our doubts helps us to get real about our faith, my friends. I know the temptation sometimes is to fake it. I'm going to invite you today, don't fake it. You don't have to fake it. Don't don't fake it for me. Don't fake it for Jesus. Jesus knows. (laughs) Don't fake it for the people that's sitting in the row with you on Sunday morning. Just be real. Just be who you are. Come with all your questions and all your uncertainties and all your doubts. What's the point of faking it? You know, do you know what the number one thing is that young people are looking for in a church? Okay, it's not music, and it's not lights, and it's not graphics, and it's not good coffee. The number one thing that young people are looking for when they visit around to a church is authenticity. They are looking for authenticity. Is this thing that we're doing, is this a show or is this real? Is this a show or is this real? And I have to ask myself that every week, and you have to ask yourself that every week when you walk through those doors and come in here and say, am I just putting on a show for God, or am I coming to make myself vulnerable and bear my heart before the living Lord to have an encounter with a holy God? Friends, when we are open to doubts, we make room for people who might have doubts, especially young people. Number three, we do not have to fear doubt because to doubt is human. Doubt is human. Our doubt reminds us that as humans, we all have shortcomings. We all have struggles. Even the heroes of the Bible 
had doubts. If you read this book, friends, you'll notice Mary doubted her fitness to give birth to the Savior of the world, and Moses doubted his call from God, and Abraham and Sarah doubted that they could have a baby at such an old age, right? And so doubt is this sort of tool for surviving the experience of what it means to be human. One of my favorite preachers is a guy named Tim Keller. And Tim Keller, he puts it like this. He says, a faith without doubts is like a human body without antibodies. People who go through life unwilling to ask hard questions will find themselves defenseless against tragedy and skepticism. Our faith will collapse overnight if we have failed to patiently listen to our own doubts, which should be discarded only after a lot of reflection. You ever think about that? How if we are just so confident all the time, when push comes to shove, we may be in big, big trouble, friends, if we have not entertained our doubts and our questions and our uncertainties. Listen to your doubts. Let God use them to teach you about who God is and about who you are in God's eyes. Number four, reason we don't have to fear doubt, doubt leaves room for the mystery of God. Doubt leaves room for the mystery of God. Have you ever known someone who is so incredibly confident in their faith? They're just just so self-assured. Any question you have, they have an answer. And they never seem to have any doubts. They seem to only have confidence all the time. And it seems like they uh, think they know everything there is to know about God. You ever met anybody like that? Notice how off-putting that is. I don't really want to be around people like that because I'm thinking, gosh, how can you know that much? You know, how can we possibly? God is so big and our minds are so small, how could we possibly ever get our minds around the hugeness, the enormity of who God is? How can a man rise from the dead? I don't know. I have no idea. Can you explain it to me? Right? No. It's the mystery of God, right? It's the mystery. We believe it, but we can't explain it. That's part of the mystery of God. And so a a bit of healthy doubt, friends, helps us to remember that we believe in things that we cannot explain. At the center of our faith is the idea that a man rose from the dead. Okay, we can't explain it, but we believe it. And so a little bit of doubt gives room for the mystery of God. I'm going to leave you today with the words of Jesus. And in the story, this is the last thing he said to Thomas. He said, have you believed, Thomas, because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have come to believe. Okay, so there are some people in this room who have seen the risen Christ, literally or figuratively, right? You have witnessed the love of God in your life in such a way that it is unmistakable to you, and you believe because of Jesus' witness to you. And if that's where you are in your faith journey, I say hallelujah, praise God, I thank Jesus that he showed up in your life in that way. Okay. Then there are those of us who have maybe not had such a clear uh, witness experience of the risen Christ to show up in a way that we could see or hear or touch or taste or smell. And what does Jesus say about us? He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, you know what I love about this? Look at what Jesus says. People who have come to believe. 
Sometimes faith happens in an instant, in a moment. And in that moment, you believe there's a conversion, and you went from uh, sinner to saint in that moment. But for some of us, faith is a journey that happens over a long time. And it takes weeks, or it takes months, or it takes years of seeds being planted and watered and growing little by little by little. And this is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you who come to believe. No matter where you are today on this journey of faith, whether you are completely convinced or completely unconvinced or maybe somewhere in between, this is my prayer for you, that you would know without a doubt that Jesus is unwaveringly committed to you this day and every day. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you have given us a witness to the resurrection, your followers, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and the disciples. God, help us to take these words into our hearts and into our minds. Help us to believe them. God, we know that you have loved us so well and so beautifully, and so we pray for courage to believe where we have not seen. We pray for boldness to come to you for evidence once again, to know that you are working in our lives and that you have something good for us.